Y'all can be seated. Good morning. My name is Jordan, and my husband Matt and I are um, community group leaders. So uh, this morning, I'm going to bring the scripture to you before we get started, and it's in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. If y'all want to turn there, or I think it'll also be up on the screen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, my name's Tanner House. I'm the lead pastor here at Redeemer Church, Odessa. I've convictionally been opposed to Facebook Live uh, because you need to be at church, but uh, I've got my phone set up right there, so we're going to wave it our friends there on the Facebook Live. This is a one-time thing, so you need to be at church uh, if you're well and can be at church. Uh, get, get well soon. Love you guys. Hey, a couple of housekeeping matters. I've got some Bibles on the back table. If you need one, raise your hand. The lovely Zach Chavez will uh, make sure you get one. And we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're right in the middle of what I'm calling vision and values. Um, we started this church a year ago. Next week uh, will be our one-year birthday with 14 adults and a bunch of kids. And um, as you can see, because of the Omicron variant, we've canceled our kids' classes today. And so all the kids are in here, and it's going to be good. We're now up to 40-ish members with a bunch more kids. And um, so since so many of you have joined the church since the beginning... I would like us to all get on the same page. Um, we have three visions or values at this church. It's gospel, community, and mission. So last week we talked about, I'm sorry, two weeks ago we talked about the gospel. And our conviction is that everything we do as a church flows out of our understanding of who Jesus is and what he accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection. Our belief of Jesus informs everything else that we do as a church. And hopefully it informs everything you do if you claim to be a believer in Jesus. Out of that comes a relationship with Christ in which we are loved in spite of ourselves. And out of that love, it motivates us to then love one another in the context of Christian community, which we're going to talk about next week. Beyond that, it motivates us to go to those around us who don't know Christ, and it motivates us to go to the nations and plant churches and share the gospel, and it motivates our activities in our homes and within our families. So that's gospel. Community we're going to talk about next week. Today we're going to talk about missions. Um, our view of missions is threefold. We talk about missions, we're talking about missions to our neighborhoods, Missions to the nations, missions to the next generations. 
Um, neighborhoods we'll touch on briefly today, but we're going to really hit it hard in the members meeting in a few weeks. Nations, which Mark spoke about last week, we serve a God who does in fact have a heart for the nations. And today we're going to be spending a lot of time discussing mission to the next generation. Today I'm really going to lean heavily on, on you husbands and fathers in the room. But that doesn't mean that if you're not a husband or a father, that there is nothing here for you, so don't check out on me. So let me say this before we jump in. Full disclosure, we are what's known as a complementarian church. Um, I'll explain what that is. It's a secondary leadership conviction, meaning it's not a salvation issue. But here's what we believe. We believe that the Bible teaches that men are to be the spiritual leaders in the church and in the home. Our conviction is that when the church is full of strong, godly men, men who are taking an active role in their own spiritual development, men who are consistently walking with Jesus, men who love Jesus, men who love the church, men who love and care for their wives and their children, both physically and spiritually, men who will get their entire families to church, men who aren't lazy, men who lead, Men who aren't passive, expecting their wives to handle the discipline of the children, making the wives make all the hard decisions without giving any input. Men who are not buying into this cultural narrative that Odessa is a great place to raise a beer belly. Dudes, get off the couch. Read the Bible with your kids. Dudes, if you only care about the score of the football game and your wife and your kids are waffling behind you and withering away spiritually or otherwise. That is not good. We want men who are not passive. We want men who are willing to take the calling of God on their lives to love and shepherd their families and their churches. Because we believe that everyone, men, women, children, and society will all benefit when men step up and be men. It does not, however, negate the worth, value, and dignity of women who are equal in worth, value, and dignity before God as people made in God's image. We do, however, believe that the Bible teaches that men and women are created equal, but for different and distinct roles in both the home, home and the church. So that's a secondary leadership issue, meaning it's not a salvation issue, meaning if you don't agree, you can still be a functioning, thriving member of this church to God's glory. But I believe that the first sin committed in the Bible was not that Eve ate the fruit. It was that Adam was being passive. Adam was standing idly by, watching his wife... Remaining passive while she was in danger. God actually confronts Adam first, before he even addresses Eve. So we want men who lead from a posture of humility in this church. We want men who lead from a posture of humility in their homes. However, women in this room, if you're unmarried, or if your spouse isn't a believer or something else, that does not mean that you are second class in the kingdom of God. The call for discipleship, the call to make disciples is for all of us. Not just the elders of the church, not just for the men in leadership in this church, not for just the women in leadership in this church, but that call is for everyone. And listen to me here. 
while the, while the primary calling to disciple one's children does ultimately fall to mom and dad, I do want to submit to, the, to you this before we dive in. We're all called to hold the blessings in our life, the blessings given to us by God. We're all called to hold those with open hands, and that includes our kids. Therefore, as we're called into a spiritual family, the the church and our kids will benefit from being discipled by several spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers. And that is a real blessing to us all. That is an incredible blessing to our kids to sit with a gathered church every Sunday morning and see men and women of the faith submitting their lives to God in worship. And the adverse is absolutely true, and that's where we're going to spend a lot of time this morning. I want to gently push on you a little bit right now, friends and family. You are all discipling your kids into something. To be a disciple means to be a learner. And regardless of whether you are present and active as a parent or you are emotionally distant, your kids are absorbing all of this. Think about it as an adult. How many of you are affected by the sins of your parents? Even if you had like a relatively great, well-adjusted childhood and your parents did the absolute best they could, how many of you relate not only to your kids, but to everybody else around you the way that your parents related to you? Beyond that, it's realistic to suggest that there's a high probability that the things that you value as a family are the things that your kids are going to value as adults. Science would suggest that as people, you either model your childhood or react against it. So as Christians, and in regards to the church, you can see this play out over four or five generations of church statistics. I've talked about this before. It's called the generational fade in church commitment. This isn't original with me. Some other pastor shared it, but it looks like this. Number one, generation one, parents don't make church a high priority for their kids. The second generation, those kids grow up and make it less of a priority for their kids. Then the third generation, those kids grow up and make it no priority for their kids. And number four, those kids grow up with no concept of God. Church, today I want to tell you this. Your priorities today will impact not just you, not just your kids, but your grandkids and on down the line. Guys in here, people in here that don't have children, man, you need to be involved in this as well. You may need to grab a hold of some kids in your life, nieces, nephews, family, friends, whatever, and be involved in their spiritual development as a spiritual mom or dad. At the very least, if you're a member of this church, I need you to encourage me as a dad that's trying to lead a family. Man, if you don't have kids, let me tell you this. You too are being discipled into something, and you may not even know it. Perhaps you've accepted this notion that, that God somehow owes you salvation simply by your merits. Perhaps you think you are a good person. Man, listen, the Bible would suggest otherwise. Apart from the blood of Christ on your behalf for the forgiveness of sins, if you are not walking with Jesus in faith and doing what he's called you to, you may think you are a Christian. You may think you're saved. 
and you may not be. And how you respond to that thought, just like the moms and dads in this room, how you respond to this, that has huge implications for you and your future. So this morning, church, let's recenter our minds on Jesus and his mission to make disciples of all nations, including the future that lives in our home and eats all our food and makes a huge mess of our house. Okay, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we need you. Lord, I'd ask that you would just show us our need for you. Lord, again, remind yourself or remind us of your faithfulness to us. Lord, thank you for all these kids. Thank you for just the blessing and the inheritance that you've given this people. Lord, I pray for our friends and loved ones that are at home sick. Lord, bless our time together. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. All right. Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4, it says this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So just a little context. This is written by a guy named Moses. The book of Deuteronomy that we're in this morning serves as a summary of kind of the last 40-ish years of the history of the nation of Israel since they came out of slavery in Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. After that, they grumbled and complained against God, and so God made them wander in the desert for 40 years. So this is Moses kind of giving a summary. God had given Moses the law, um, the books of Leviticus specifically, and and Numbers um, talks about what the nation of Israel is supposed to be, who they're supposed to be about, how they're supposed to look different than the pagan nations around them. So this is Moses reading it back to the nation of Israel as they're about to enter the promised land. And prior to verse 4, Moses says this in Deuteronomy 6.1. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules, that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing milk and honey, with milk and honey. So there's a blessing here, but that blessing is conditional. God is saying that if you obey, It will go well with you, and God will multiply you as the nation of Israel in the land of promise. This is what's called a covenant. This is covenantal language. A covenant is an agreement enacted between two parties in which one or both are making a promise to each other under an oath. They're either going to refrain from doing something, or they're going to actually do something, and all of this stuff is stipulated in advance. So... God is making a covenant, but this is like a kingly covenant. God the king is making a covenant with his subjects or his followers. God is reinserting his rightly kingly rule and reign over the nation of Israel as the people of God. God is making a promise to them. God is making a promise to Israel that if they will follow him, they will be blessed. And then in verse 4, it begins what is known in the Old Testament as the Shema, which means to hear. In the New Testament, this is known as the great or the greatest commandment. 
In Hebrew, the word Shema, though, uh, means to hear, which carries with it this idea that to hear also is a command to obey. So think about it for a second. Let's say you're a kid or a parent or a teacher or something, and you say to your kids or your class, like, hey, I have this task for you that you need to do. Clean up your room, please. And they acknowledge your request, but they don't actually do it. The Hebrew literature then would argue that without proper obedience, there is actually no hearing. So to obey is to listen, and to listen leads to obedience. So Moses says, Israelites, listen and obey to the word of God, who is the Lord, and this Lord is one. So Moses is asserting here by saying the Lord is one. He's reminding Israel of the nature and character of God. This is an early Trinitarian passage of the Old Testament where we see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And none of this will fully be understood until the birth of Jesus in a few thousand years and the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But here Moses is affirming, yes, God is eternal and he does have the right to rule and reign in the present. So they're moving in to possess this promised land, which is full of of pagan nations with their pagan gods and rampant idol worship. And Moses is calling the nation of Israel to fix their eyes on God. Fix your eyes on the God of your fathers, who is superior to any other man-made deity on earth. And then he goes into that greatest commandment. Moses says this, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. He says, love the Lord. At the very heart of Israel's confession as the people of God, they are indeed to acknowledge God as the primary in their affections. God is first. Moses says, heart, soul, might, which means that God's people were to love them with all their being. And to not do so, to share your affections that are rightly due to God with anybody else, with anything else, that is an affront to God, who is the God of the universe. The nation of Israel is being asked to love God, and not out of legalism, not simply as being rule followers, not simply following the do's and don'ts of Scripture, but out of a deep affection for his love towards them. Man, and this is not just a calling on the nation of Israel. This is a calling on the New Testament church, and specifically for you as followers of Christ. Man, through the blood of Christ, through the pardon and forgiveness of sins, through the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross, we too have been called into a covenantal relationship with the same God, who is one in and of himself. And out of love... We are now called to obedience. Jesus says in John 15, If you love me, then you will obey me. Because of who and what he is, in regard to his people whom he elected and redeemed, the Lord now can rightly demand on you unqualified obedience. In Mark 12, as we get back to that in a few weeks, we're going to see a man approach Jesus And asked Jesus, hey Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds by by quoting these verses back to him. 
Jesus as God is asking for obedience with all that we have. The words heart, the word soul, the word might, which means strength, they are all encompassing of who you are as a person. With everything you have, mind, body, soul, time, talents, resources, you are to love God with it all. And to not do so is idolatry. And you're to be motivated not by earning God's favor, but you're only to be motivated by his love and grace towards a wretched sinner such as yourself. The fact that God would be willing to come to earth and rescue us from ourselves, we are to be motivated by love for him in return and nothing else. The calling to obey and follow God in faith to resurrected Christ does in fact signify that you are indeed in Christ. True love for Jesus can never be separated from following Jesus. Love for Jesus is not simply an emotive response or a verbal response. Yeah, I love Jesus, but I'd never do what he says. Love for Jesus is not merely found in emotions. It's an affection that leads you to action. Loving the Lord cannot be separated from serving the Lord and what he has called you to do. Man, loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, and strength looks like obedience. And obedience to the Lord is practical and concrete. Meaning, obedience to the Lord looks like following the Lord. And following the Lord is noticeable in how you live your life. It isn't limited to mere externals. You aren't following Jesus, checking off a bunch of boxes like, yeah, I read my Bible today. Yeah, I didn't cuss today. Yeah, I haven't looked at pornography today. Yeah, I haven't done all this other bad stuff. Yeah, I prayed a couple of rehearsed prayers today. I went to church once this quarter. Check. No, that's not the point. Reading your Bible and praying are important. Man, and there will be days when it's hard. It's hard to follow Jesus sometimes. And God will honor your discipline. Meaning sometimes it is okay for it to be a struggle. But we still pursue Jesus in spite of that. Not so we can say, yeah, we've done all the things. But because we have hearts that have been saved by Jesus. True obedience to Jesus motivates our actions because the cross motivates our affections. And look, when Christ calls us to obedience, when we are called to love him with the whole sum of our lives, we're not simply just to acknowledge a bunch of stuff about God. Christ is calling your life to submit under his lordship, and that demands and it expects that you put these things into action. When we submit ourselves to the Lord, in love to the Lord, that love leads to obedience to the Lord. And that love and obedience communicates that we are submitted to the Lord as the king of our lives. And out of that leads to mission. Because we have been changed 
And that change, if it is in fact true and genuine, motivates our activity. If Christ has intercepted your heart, your life cannot and will not look the same as it once did. Let's look at verse 6. It says, And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So this would seem to imply then that if indeed the word of the Lord by faith in Christ has been regenerated in your heart, then you now have an obligation to teach them. Specifically, if you are a mom and dad, your obligation is to teach them to your kids. It would also seem to imply that the spiritual training of your children does not start when they become teenagers. But rather, it begins when they are young. So Moses tells them, be diligent, man. Talk about it. Talk about Christ all the time. When you're at home, when you're at dinner, when you're in the car at night and in the morning, you shall remember the word of the Lord and teach it to your kids. Verse 8 says, put them on your hands so you can see them and be reminded of them as you go. It also says, put them as frontlets between your eyes in order that others may see. Write the commands of the Lord on the walls of your house so that you won't forget them. In this way, according to the law, a person in his or her family is being identified as being a child of God. Christians, listen to me. Men, women, moms, dads, aunts, uncles, friends, And neighbors, let me tell you something. The calling of Scripture to follow Jesus is first and foremost a relational calling between you and Christ. But beyond that, it cannot be limited to that. The love of Christ compels you beyond you to love and serve God in mission of God. Our concern is, Really, our concern should not only be within ourselves, but our concern must be ourselves with the spiritual position of others. We must concern ourselves with the spiritual position of others. And that includes our kids. Listen, moms, dads, aunts, uncles, friends, neighbors, we are not responsible for the salvation of anybody. We cannot save our kids. As the pastor, I cannot save you. We can, however, be diligent in the formation and spiritual development of others, including our children. We are at least responsible for that. It then becomes the role of the Holy Spirit to lead them into faith and into repentance. But part of our job, not just as parents, but as Christians, is to not be passive. We should strive to eliminate as many hindrances to the faith For our kids as possible. So parents, listen to me. If you're not a parent, apply this in your context. It's like your coworkers or your teammates or what have you. But specifically to parents right now, consider this. Are you actively leading your kids towards Christ? Or is Christ just another thing in your life? 
another thing on your schedule, another menu item for you to pick and choose from when it's convenient for you. Think about the things you allow to consume your calendar. Do you give one thought to your growth in Christ? Do you give one thought to your kids' growth in Christ? I want to be incredibly gracious here, but I also want to tell you some things. Our kids are growing up really quickly. My son turned nine the other day, and I feel like five weeks ago he was just three, so I don't know what happened there. And in that moment when he turned nine, I realized a few things. He's halfway to 18, which means he's halfway to college, which means he's halfway out of my house and halfway on his own, which means I am failing him in some very key ways in his development in Christ. We gathered this week to read some scripture as a family and pray together as a family. And I must confess to you all, because this is a safe place, that over the last few years, this hasn't happened as consistently as it's needed to. I told my kids, I said, you know what would be sad for me? If, if dad planted this church in the uh, place that smells like chlorine and pancakes, if dad planted this church in Odessa, and it grew, and a bunch of men and women came to know Jesus. But you guys grew up to be an adult, and I never talked about Jesus with you, and you walked away from the faith. God has been gracious this week to reveal that to me, that the most important thing I do as a pastor is not Pastor Redeemer Odessa. But it's that I worship Jesus and that I lead my wife and kids to love and worship Jesus too. Christian, your most important role is to love God. And second, it's to lead others to worship him. Moms, dads, aunts, uncles, friends, and neighbors, do not miss opportunities. Do not miss opportunities to teach your kids about the love of God to them. Listen, real talk, two seconds. I, well, I forgot about you guys. Uh, let's stay here so y'all can see me. That's not a real flattering angle. <laughs> All right, let's get serious again. Man, some of you will miss church for absolutely everything. Some of you will miss church for absolutely any other reason. And guess what? Your kids notice that. Some of you do not make church attendance a priority. Some of you don't make community group attendance a priority. And guess what? Your kids notice that. Man, to love God means to follow God. And you cannot follow God apart from being connected to the body of Christ. Man, if you don't make God a priority in your life now, if you don't make your growth in Christ a priority now, if you don't make the bride of Christ a priority in your life now, if church is not a priority in your life now, your kids will not make it a priority in theirs either. Man, what if, 
What if our kids excelled in sports and excelled in school and they grew up and got good jobs? And then they had no tangible relationships with Jesus. Would that be a win? Somebody holler at me and say no. Thank you. Rather, what if we encouraged our kids to be successful in school, in sports, and pursue good jobs and education and whatever else, but we made church and Jesus the priority? Look, if you're married without kids and you're planning on having kids someday, your habits will not automatically change the second you become parents. If you are not disciplined now, as a dad of four, let me tell you this, it gets exceptionally harder. I believe that the church exists as a spiritual supplement to what is taking place in your home. I am not supposed to be the primary spiritual influence in your kid's life. That is your job. The home is divinely formed as the context for discipleship for your kids. Parents, you are the primary disciple makers of your kids. So then disciple them in Christ, who is your deepest treasure. Jesus calls us into a family. Jesus has given us a new heart to love and serve and follow him. So let's love and serve and follow him by doing the things he has called us to. Man, out of the great commandment to love him with everything, we are called then to make disciples in him. So let's start with our kids. Live holy and obedient lives. Live lives marked by repentance and deep faith. Get your kids to church. And then engage with your kids about the stuff that matters. You want to know what that looks like? I want you to for a quick second to think about a few things. Think about the entertainment that you consume. Like, what are you consuming as a family together? Music, TV, movies. Is that leading you or your kids to a more Christ-centered view of the world? Man, if you want to know what passivity looks like in your kids' lives, it looks like not monitoring what they're watching and where they're going online. What if... Church, listen, what if, moms and dads, what if instead of being afraid of friction with our kids, we had honest conversations as Christian moms and dads to be families that took the calling of God on our lives to be holy as he is holy? What if we took that seriously? And that extends way beyond our kids. Think about what you post on social media. Do you share reels or TikToks that are hypersexual or filled with profanity? And does that lead your lost friends to Christ? No guilt, no shame. I just really ask you to consider these things. And we could have a discussion, too, on the amount of time that we spend on these devices. But I won't go down that road. That's for another sermon. I will say this. Other than to ask you to consider how much time are you spending on your phones? And if you have ever said, I do not have any time to read my Bible or pray or spend time with Jesus, but you spend ample time scrolling social media, perhaps you should reevaluate your priorities. I also want to make an aside here. This one's specifically to moms and dads. In this age of individualism, I'm not sure how this is going to land, but here we go. Um, 
It's okay to discipline your kids. It's okay to have expectations on your kids to listen and obey. Shortly before our text this morning, Moses goes over what we know as the Ten Commandments. And he tells the nation of Israel, honor your father and your mother. Here's some encouragement to you, boys and girls, the many that are still left. Listening to mom and dad is obeying Jesus. Moms and dads, teaching your babies to listen and obey to you is teaching them to follow Jesus. And in doing so, you are also following the Lord's will for your life. You can do it. Men, do not be passive here. I will also say this. Moms and daughters, moms and dads, sons and daughters, friends and neighbors, members of the family of God, we are all going to sin against one another at some point or another. That's just part of it. So moms and dads, and especially you husbands in this room, let's be the first people to repent in our homes. Let's be the first to apologize. Let's be the first to seek forgiveness for the ways we sin against our wives and the ways we sin against our kids. Let's be people who feel conviction and actually respond to it in a way that honors Christ. Let's keep short accounts with one another and not let conflict linger. Do not waste moments to talk to your kids about biblical principles like faith and repentance. When you repent before your children, also Christians, when you repent before non-believers, you are showing them your need for Jesus and ultimately their need for Jesus. Listen, the older you get, the more important it is that uh, this is built into the culture of your family now. The older your kids get, this becomes increasingly more important because, listen to me, teenagers are a lot like senior adults. They think they know better than you, and they're really set in their ways. Cheers uh, to you two back there. Man, so don't wait. There's grace. Grace, grace for you. Here's where I want to begin to end our time this morning. I want to help you with family worship. And maybe you're like me and you really value order and conformity. Let's all just commit together right now to just die to those fierce ideals. My four-year-old shouts, Uncle Ryan, very loudly every time he prays. And so I've just stopped trying to get him to cut it out, and Uncle Ryan just gets prayed for a lot now. Um, what our kids need is just to hear the love of Jesus to them and to see you, mom and dad, praying and reading your Bible. As the church, I want to resource you to teach your children the ways of God who loves them enough to die for them. If you don't have kids, I want to help you start something with your coworkers or your friends or the people in your community group. You know what would be unreal amazing? If you all would just find somebody in this church to read the Bible with and to pray with, that would be a game changer for our little church. Regardless of whether you have kids or, or not, the calling on your life as a believer is to make disciples. And we all need help with that. And that is not a knock on you. Realizing you need help is a grace on your life. So let's talk about that. Maybe you need to repent of your ambivalence here. I had to do that this week. 
Just confess before the Lord that I've been very complacent in leading my kids. Maybe your desire is there, but you just don't know how to start. Depending on the age of your kids, you may just need to start by reading the Jesus Storybook Bible. Depending on the nature of your job and who you work with, maybe you just need to gather together at lunch at work one day a week and commit to praying together or reading your Bible. Maybe you just need to commit to praying with your kids weekly. Maybe as a family or personally, you just commit to memorizing some scripture together. Maybe you need to sing songs about Jesus in your car instead of listening to the top 40. Look, pop songs, man, they're all just singing about the same stuff anyways. You've heard one pop song, you've heard them all for the last 20 years. Don't at me. I'll fight you. Look, there are endless possibilities here. And because of that, you have absolutely zero excuses. Maybe your kids are older and you feel like it's too late. It's not. God is gracious to redeem the time that we've wasted and we've missed and the times we failed. Because God is in the business of redeeming. I think we all need to start, though, by really considering this. Do we love God? Do we love God in the way that Jesus commands us to? Jesus loves us, but do we love him? Listen, I'll close with this. All of this activity, all of this obedience can only come from hearts changed by Jesus. We follow Jesus because he loved us enough to die for us. If you're feeling brave, you should ask my son Levi what 1 John 4.19 says if you see him. Um, It says, we love because he first loved us. We aren't pursuing others. We're not pursuing Jesus out of duty and obligation. We're pursuing others because we have been loved by God through the death of his son on our cross. And through the resurrection, we have been given the Holy Spirit who has equipped us for every good work in him. We have been given Christ's righteousness So now we can operate out of that. Man, I'd ask you to consider what do I need to repent of this morning? What do you need to give to Christ? Where do you need to change? Man, if you're not sure about your relationship with Christ, I would absolutely start there. Um, Let's pray and we'll close.